We have a rainy, hot day today, isn't it? It's rainy and it's warm. But it's a, one of those good days, those nice, well, I say nice, humid days. People don't like it, but nice, humid day. Would you turn with me to John chapter 4? John chapter 4, um, what we're going to do is uh, in RBC, we're going to complete our section on worship. We have two more sermons here, and then we're going to, after that, go back to 1 Corinthians and charge on through. John chapter 4. We are talking about applications in worship. Jesus calls us to worship in spirit and truth. If, as we are being reminded that biblical worship, as we are, that's, that's what we are, we are attempting to do. Biblical worship is exalting and adoring God the Father through the person and work of Christ in the power of the Spirit. By thought, word, and deed as a fundamental response to who God is and what he has done. And we say worship has three elements. Remembrance, which leads to submission, which leads to service. But before we go on, why don't we ask God to, um, to bless this time. And to help us understand his word. Father, we come before you this morning... We are in need of your ministry to us. We just sang, your word is food for famished ones. We just sang, where else can we go, Lord? Lord, I'm acutely aware of this this morning. In this life, we have just this mixture of joy and trials. And we pray, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. We pray that in our hearts we would worship you. We pray as Job did. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and in that he worships you. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever happens to us, Lord, we pray that Christ will be praised. Help us to gaze at Christ again. For he is who we need. He is the all-sufficient one. Minister to our hearts, God. Some of us come in here maybe with sin on our hearts and we need to get right. Some of us come in here just broken. Some of us come in here happy, joyful. We pray that you, by your spirit, would do that mighty work that takes the things of Christ and applies it individually in our lives. We pray that Christ would be sweeter 
this morning to us. We pray that we would rest in his all-sufficiency, that in fact, he is all that we need. We thank you, Father, that you see our plight and you see everything that we are going through. Not one hair on our heads can be harmed apart from your sovereign will. You take care of the birds of the air and you take care of the, of the flowers of the field. Surely, surely we are much more precious than that in your sight. And so this morning we ask, would you feed our famished souls? In Jesus' name, amen. We, let me just take, go as a review where we've been. We talked about the design of worship. That is the image of God. And it answers the question, why are you here? And I tell you, brothers and sisters, apart from God and apart from Christ, if you don't answer this question right, you will forever be wandering. And yet God calls us, he tells us, that we are to worship him. We looked at the worthiest of worship, of that, the reason why God is worthy to be worshipped. And we looked at the holiness of God and that answers, why is God worthy? We looked at the distortion of worship, which was what man does. We replace God with ourselves, with other things, with other ambitions, with other dreams. And that answers the question, well, why don't we all worship? Then we answer the question, what are the components of worship? As we said, we have to remember God. We have to submit to God. We have to serve God. And lastly, now, we're talking about the applications of worship. If we've defined what it is, and we see that it is the purpose of our life, how do we in fact do this? Jesus makes the most definitive statement on worship. And what's amazing, he does it to an outcast. He says it to an outcast of society. This completely displays how anyone, no matter where you're from, no matter what past you come from, no matter what you've done, you can come and worship Christ, fulfill your very purpose in life, that is to give Him honor and glory, if you come to Him in faith and repenting of your sins. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a man who was religious. He was a Pharisee. He needed Christ's salvation and he couldn't have the more opposite person. In John chapter 4, you have this unnamed woman who was immoral. She was an outcast and she too needed Christ's salvation. In John chapter 4, notice he says, Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again to Galilee. In verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to go. We know there that the reason why that, that, that phrase is there is because the Jews had a 
a bigotry, a hatred towards the Samaritans. They were half-breeds, half-Jewish and half-Assyrian from the conquest of Assyria. Most Jews, they didn't even want to defile their own feet by walking in their land. So they would take the extra two or three hundred mile route around Samaria. Jesus says, I have to go. I got to go meet her. I have an appointment. He came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon to us. This is the hottest time of the day. Here you have the picture of God, the source of living water, being thirsty. It's amazing. Many biblical scholars surmise that the reason why it's the sixth hour and this Sumerian woman would come was because she would come. Usually the women would come during the early morning so they wouldn't be out in the hot sun. And they surmise that she would come so she wouldn't hear the snickerings and the gossips of the other women because of her life. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for me for a, a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And the explanation is very clear. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, it is, and who it is, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given him, would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw, not understanding. You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob. He was. Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever, oh I love this, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. That is the spiritual rejuvenation, the spiritual blessing, the spiritual sufficiency of Christ. That he fills your deepest need. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now Jesus is going to say. And this is where we're going to focus. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Man in his darkness cannot even approach God rightly in worship. On his own, he's stumbling. Either he comes half-heartedly or he comes in a distorted, non-Christ-glorifying fashion that does not display God accurately because he does not cling to the truth. And yet Christ invites you and worships you with access to the Father by Christ's own blood so you can be a true worshiper. So my preaching point this morning is God the Father has given you this passage so you would be a true worshiper through his son Jesus Christ. We know that this starts only when you have faith in him. To be a true worshiper Jesus gives you three important guidelines and the first is to follow his lead verses 19 to 22. Follow his lead. It is simply not true, brothers and sisters. It's simply not true when folks say, I can worship God any way I want. These folks simply just do not know the Bible. This is prevalent in many man-centered, seeker-sensitive churches that, place the, that places man as the final arbiter of truth. God defines how, we should, how he should be approached. He defines how he should be worshipped. If you recall in the Old Testament, judgment was passed when we are reminded of Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire, Israel and the golden calf, Uzziah and... and The king who was not a priest who attempted to burn incense in the temple and subsequently died. It does matter to God. How are we to come to him? Folks who teach you that you can worship God any old way you want. Never bring up these many examples. But even as we go into the New Testament, Jesus now comes. When it comes to worship, the absolute authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in its application to corporate worship, that is, when we get together like this, it is the triune God who dictates how he should be worshipped, where he should be worshipped, and why he should be worshipped, and all details pertaining to him giving him praise. Verse 19, we are just reminded that he knows exactly what you are all about. Remember the woman says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. In response to her realization that this man knows all about her sin, she doesn't deny it at all. In fact, it's a confession of sorts. What you think of me is right. She was a woman who's had five other husbands and now she was shacking up with another guy. 
But now she's exposed and there's no excuses, no blame shifting. His piercing eyes can see. He knows in verse 20 that you, you got it all wrong. We, we do have it all wrong with worshiping Christ unless he tells us. We, it has to be revealed for us to know. We don't get the right answers. You need, to, you need to understand that, brothers and sisters. You don't get the right answers from just talking to the world or thinking it on your own thoughts. The right answers come from when, because Christ himself reveals it. She was thinking, our fathers worshipped in this mountain and, and you people worship in Jerusalem. Apart from the revelation of scripture, you don't know what worship is all about. In other words, because of our darkness in understanding, because of sin, you're completely at the mercy of God to reveal himself to you. And praise the Lord, he does. Do you know the miracle it is that even Dre comes up here and the team comes up here and we're able to give praise to God no matter whatever we're going through. Even in the pain and even in the sorrow. There is something more worthy, something more important and that is Christ himself. He speaks with real authority. Verse 21, woman, believe me, an hour is coming and now neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Unlike the unbiblical tradition of the Samaritans or the emphasis of the external in the Jews, because of this new covenant that Christ invites us to come, there is now this new transition. Location is not important. We should already know that, right, brothers and sisters? We've been moved around left and right. We could worship in a backyard or a front yard. Apparently we could do that, right, Trey? Ceremonies or rituals are not important. Rather, what God sees is what's happening in the heart. And this is where Jesus transitions. Are you responding to the truth with remembrance, submission, and obedience? Jesus says in verse 22, you worship that which you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation of the Jews. And all he's saying is that the Jews received the Old Testament, the accurate New Testament. The Samaritans has changed it. You worship what you don't know. All of your prayers, all of your singing, all of your rituals, all of your sacrifices and giving and meetings and candles and smoke. They're all useless. They're all empty. They're all wrong. You worship what you don't know. You can actually worship wrong. This is what Jesus is saying. If you don't have the truth, you are worshiping wrong. Well, if they're sincere enough, God will understand. If it's doctrinally correct, no, that's actually false. Christ is the authority for worship. Not the church growth experts, not the marketing experts, not what people want, not the desires of folks. Christ says what honors the Father. Not what brings the most crowds, not what excites people, not what's on Caleb, not what's on 700 Club. 
Christ is building his church. Steve Lawson said it this way. Christ is building his church. We are not building his church. He is not building our church. He is building his church. So Christ calls us to worship the Father. What honors the Father? That comes to our next point. First, we need to follow his lead. Christ is the ultimate authority of what worship is. Secondly, you have to give your all. Brothers and sisters, this is it. Christ calls us to give our all. You cannot be over-devoted to Christ. You cannot give too much of yourself to Christ. We'll spend most of our time here. My points for verses 23 to 25, if we were to sum it all up together, it's really give all that you are for all that he is. This rests on this phrase, spirit and truth. Give all that you are, spirit, for all that he is, truth. And then he says in verse 23, An hour is coming and true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. An hour is coming and now is. It says here, When the true worshippers shall worship in spirit and truth. In spirit. Let's talk about this phrase. What does it mean to worship in spirit? It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit here. Okay. The Spirit here doesn't have an article, so it's not typically what we would call the Holy Spirit, the uh, the Spirit or Holy Spirit. What this speaks to is the immaterial portion of man, all the inner stuff of what makes you you. God has made you with two parts: the material and the immaterial. The material is His body; the immaterial is your soul. Sometimes it's called your heart. Sometimes it's called your mind. Oftentimes in the New Testament it talks about three different parts. Heart, soul, and mind. You see Romans, uh, heart, mind, and, uh, excuse me, heart, mind, and will. In Romans 6.17 we see, Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient, that is the will, from the heart to that form of teaching, that's the mind, to which you were committed. Immaterial part of man includes your spirit. It includes man's intellect, man's emotions, man's will. So when we come to worship Christ, our whole selves have to be engaged. If in fact he is the savior of the world, if we hold back praise to him, if we stop and restrain ourselves because of the truth that's coming and we hold back The Bible says, you are not worshiping. The Bible says, Jesus says, you have to worship me with your spirit. All that you are. When a believer comes to corporate worship, he or she must focus all his thoughts to the truth being revealed about God in the prayers, in the songs, in the preaching. It is all out war, brothers and sisters. It is war. Every 
one is fighting for your minds and your hearts and your wills. They don't stop. The media feeds keep coming. It doesn't stop. The political pundits fight. The teachers argue what they think is right. It doesn't stop. Your friends, outside voices, unbiblical voices are trying to tell you what is right. And they do it for the whole week. And we're only here for an hour and a half. Do you see the war? And you, you are to come here. The believer has to have this resolve in your hearts. God, help me to do this. Because you are worthy of all I am. You can't be distracted by what folks are wearing or what they're going to do later on in the day. You can't be distracted by thinking about what's for lunch after service or texting or allowing yourself to be distracted. Or maybe you were so tired because you stayed up too late. Or maybe you, you're just focused on talking to your friends but you're not completely focused on the Christ who gives living water to immoral people. See, if that's true, he deserves all of you. You ask God to arrest every thought so that your mind is completely given to him. Thinking, contemplating, meditating on the truth being relayed. Emotions. Man's emotions. That as a believer, when you come to corporate worship, this is what Jesus calls us to do. When you come to worship God, come in spirit and truth. Give all that you are for all that he is. And then the aspect that we are being created in as well as our emotions. When you come to corporate worship, you're... Not supposed to be so focused on the truth that you are desiring that you forget to have the appropriate emotions about it. Your heart, the emotions must match the truth that is being relayed. We're not talking about emotionalism. You know this, brothers and sisters. We don't come here to stoke your emotions, to play with your feelings, to play with false needs. I mean, felt needs only. We don't... We don't Hoped that you would be led by only emotions. That's where some churches go. They're very emotional. What did you learn? Nothing. But I just feel better after service. What did you learn? Nothing. On the other hand, we are not to be emotionless people. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of the heart. You notice, when we focus on who God is, he will give us the desires of our heart. But he says, delight. I don't know how to delight without feeling it. So some churches are so imbalanced that they, all they talk about is the feelings of man and that's their target. That's their philosophy of how to reach people. Why do they feel? Can we make them cry? Can we do this? Can we lower the lights? Can we, can we do things to manipulate their feelings? And then there are other churches, sad to say, who, 
who are imbalanced in the sense of, let's just talk about the truth. Let's talk, just talk about what the word says with no heart, no passion <coughs> for what God, for what God is. <coughs> Be just like this. It's, it's our anniversary. And if a man had an anniversary with his wife and says, I am taking you out because that's the truth. We did it. 25 years ago, we got married. And that's the truth. Well, how do you feel about it? Well, I have no feelings about it. I have no feelings. What would the wife say? She would say, you're not honoring me. See, you don't write